Frank, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Frank, can you introduce yourself to our viewers? You're one of the first defense attorneys that have actually agreed to come on, but um, you know, it's it's what Jeff and I always say is that we're not really here to talk about the plaintiff bar or defense bar. We're here to help young attorneys. So I really appreciate you coming on. If you could introduce yourself a little bit. Of course. I'm Frank Ramos. I'm a partner at Clark Silverglade here in Miami. We do primarily defense work. I do employment products and civil litigation, and I've been practicing here 23 of my 24 years in the practice. Wow. That is really impressive. I did, uh, 23 out of 24, that, that one place, that is seriously impressive. It's a life sentence. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the other partners have, have on you. Maybe they have some uh, photos or uh, some, some uh, scandalous internet video, but hey, uh, either way, that's, I mean, well, I, I meet with the parole board next week, so I'll be fine. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're if you're asked to uh, come and work in Miami, I mean, where else are you going to go? Oh, that's right? true. I guess if I went to Miami, I'd never leave either. <laughs> yeah, that's very fair. No, but but seriously, thank you so much for coming on, especially to, you know, I talk about defense all the time and uh, share my stories, but I certainly don't don't have the experience or, you know, um, what you've seen. So I'm really excited about today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You you are notorious for not only your LinkedIn status. Um, I know you have. Oh, I think at this point you you can't even accept friends anymore. You're using more than that now, right? Yeah, I'm closing at about sixty thousand followers now. Oh my God, yeah, wow, yeah. And I, I thought I was cool with like almost a thousand. I'm like, oh, look at me, you know, I'm the LinkedIn. Everybody wants to follow me. <laughs> nope. You know, one of the reasons why you're so popular is you really give back to young attorneys, especially with associates and. The reason why I asked you on today is to talk about the associates do's and don'ts, especially in the first two years. You know, when I was in law school, they just said, look, your first two years, you're going to be stuck in a basement and you're not going to leave or see sunlight for the first two years. But that's not <laughs> that's not what it's been like, at least for me on 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 this side where I don't have to bill. But on the defense side, you know, I've heard good stories. I've heard bad stories. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, what is the first two years for an associate? It'd be pretty hellacious. It depends on where you're practicing. Some firms are much better than others about mentoring their young lawyers and some don't do much and some don't do any at all. And so it really depends on where you land and the firm you're working at. And what I try to do through social media and other platforms is try to provide some sort of assistance because those first two years are very tough. In many regards, it is a huge learning curve you don't really learn what you need to know in law school. I think law schools are getting better at it than when I went to law school back when I graduated in 97, but they still aren't good in teaching you the practice, the business, the marketing, the personal, the social services, all the things that come with really being part of a business. Because that's what we all are when we're working as lawyers, whether it's a small, medium, large size firm or working in a business. And we're not really trained to be business people. And we don't really know how to deal with personalities. I think lawyers generally, especially on the litigation side, are a bit gruff, more antagonistic, adversarial. And these are the people you're working with every day. <laughs> and as a young lawyer, it's tough to deal with all those uh, big egos. So I think for young lawyers, the biggest lesson is to try to absorb as much as you can as quickly as you can and really keep your eyes open and try to understand that every person you work with has their own way of doing things. They have their own pet peeves and pros and cons and rules that they live by. And the faster you can learn what those are and adapt to them, the better you'll serve yourself and your firm and your clients. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's spot on. And and how would you say, you know, for, for, for somebody that's a young 
you know, young attorney, they, they just got their offer letter, you know, and or, or let's say even that they've been at a place for a little bit and they realize very quickly that maybe this isn't the culture for me, that maybe that this firm's way of mentoring, like you said, maybe isn't so great, that they're a little too gruff. But I, I feel like even in those situations that there is still some experience equity or there's still some value you can get. But, but how would you mentor somebody that maybe jumped into something that wasn't so great and say, hey, this is how you can maximize your time here, whether it's a good firm, a bad firm, you know, and, and that's all relative, you know, relative to that person's personality, but really just kind of maximizing every opportunity, whether they see themselves there long term or not. Yeah, what can be very overwhelming is that when you're thrown into the deep end, but there's a lot to learn when you're thrown into the deep end, when almost from, uh, you know, the gun going off, you're going to hearings and taking depositions and meeting with clients, it can be very overwhelming if no one's actually taught you how to do that. Uh, But there's a lot to be learned from just doing it, from just experiencing it, making mistakes, stubbing your toes and learning from those experiences. And for those lawyers who find themselves in that situation where they feel a bit overwhelmed, you know, look for what's available online. This podcast of yours has a lot of great material. There are a lot of other podcasts. There's websites, blogs. There's people on LinkedIn like myself. There's all sorts of materials that people can kind of learn the nuts and bolts and how to do the day-to-day stuff that we all do as lawyers. That's pretty much free, to be honest, and that's readily available. So it's it's tough to ask a young lawyer who's already working 50, 60 hours a week, and then spend another 10, 15 hours a week learning more uh, and going basically going back to school and teaching themselves the things they didn't learn in law school. But that's what you signed up for. I hate to tell you that, but that's the reality. Um, and you'll feel a lot less stress if you actually spend that additional time investing in yourself. It seems odd. It seems like, well, how can I be stressed if I'm going to add another 10, 15 hours to my already busy week? But trust me, you do that for a few weeks or a few months, and you'll be well ahead of the curve. You're really going to feel much more comfortable with day-to-day tasks, and your law firm's going to notice. Yeah, well, yeah, that's great. And you know, something that always stuck with me before I started my own shop you know, is I really thought every single day as an associate, I thought, how do I become of revenue center. You know, how do I how do I become somebody within inside this building that generates revenue versus that's a cost center? Because they're spending a lot of money on me, you know, and, and I understand my billable hours, you know, would make up for that or whatever you do. But I, I felt like that mantra, at least for me personally, um, was that driving thing that would push me to exactly what you said to figure it out. Okay, well, you know, maybe I'm not the best brief writer, but maybe if I'm more efficient, I can bill more. And last I checked, the partners, that's what they cared about you know, at least wherever I was at. And I think, you know, maybe sometimes some, just something as simplistic as that say, all right, this is my mission. This is my goal. I got this one sentence, you know, how do I bring in revenue? And then, and then good things just seem to, to flow from there. I don't know if there's something similar like that, that you might mentor for people or tell, tell people online, you know, do's and don'ts, something like that. Yeah, it's a great point. I think now in this COVID era, we're all marketing much more online. I think younger lawyers are much more savvy for online platforms and more senior lawyers. I think un, uh, young lawyers are more savvy, even with LinkedIn, which is more sort of a older professional network, or certainly more savvy on Instagram. And now with Clubhouse, which has become sort of a, the new popular du jour platform to be using and getting your name out there. Um, I think that's not going to change. I think even once we return back to this new normal, there are going to be fewer conferences, fewer, fewer cocktail parties, fewer lunches, fewer breakfasts, fewer coffees, fewer beers out, and more 
online networking, more Zoom calls, more clubhouse groups, and so on and so forth. And I think young lawyers understand that space better, are more comfortable in that space. And if they can learn to master and use and optimize that space and monetize it, I think they're going to be a huge asset to their firms. Yeah, fantastic points. Like where we've moved to, and I, and I think those that are really succeeding are those that are embracing it. Just like you said, you know, there, there's going to be few of it. So stop resisting it, you know, just jump right into it. And, and almost, uh, you know, for associates within the first couple of years, at least for me, I, and maybe I'm a little bit uh, of a bad example. I spent 10 years in the army before I went into uh, law school. So I was already accustomed to uh, being you know, beaten into doing things I didn't want to do that I didn't agree with. <laughs> you know, uh, hey, do it this way. Well, this doesn't seem efficient. Doesn't matter. Okay. Well, all right. You know, you, you just learn to listen to authority. So at least for me, I was I was very uh, brainwashable. So uh, you know, I was good during that. <laughs> brainwashable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but those that resisted, I was like, look, you know, hey, this isn't your Burger King, man. You know, uh, this, this is you have it your yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is how the partner wants it. You know. And uh, uh, I find that I find that so fascinating. Those that that struggled with that. Obviously, that's not something you did to stick around twenty three years at, at we're at. But uh, but, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I feel like. Uh, do you see that a lot from from your associates that you just you're giving them the game plan? You're telling them, hey man, this is how I need it, and then they just won't do it. They just they're trying to do it the better way. And you're like, would you just listen to me with all my experience? You know. You know, I see that a lot with not so much the attorneys working here, but just more broadly, I take a lot of calls from young lawyers after hours and on the weekends, and they'll share their thoughts and problems and concerns, and I'll provide my advice, and they just don't want to take it, and that's their prerogative, but then they're surprised why things aren't working the way they want it to work, and I'm like, well, there's only so many ways to do this, and your way isn't working, and I'm telling you a different way, and you don't want to pursue it, so I don't know how I can help you. Um, so I, I think for young lawyers, um, they have to appreciate that they've not spent three years going to law school. They passed the bar and it may seem as if they know more than they should, but they still haven't learned everything that they need to learn. And they have to go through that process. It's frustrating because, you know, you've, you went to college four years, you went to law school, you spent three months studying for the bar. You're now in your mid to late twenties, you're an adult and you're still being told what to do and how to do it. And I get it, but you kind of have to still be told what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And do you, do you, uh, I guess, do you personally, do you ever get to a point where you feel like there's too many questions from an associate, like ever? Because I feel like a lot of associates, and even me, I was always afraid, like I'd ask some questions to, to, to just pretend like I was engaged or like you have to ask a few questions, but, but, I'd, <laughs> but I'd always have a hundred more that I'm like, well, I can't ask all these questions, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, do, do you feel like that there is a overkill or there is a, you know, I, I don't even just a strategy to, to how to pick your uh, partner's brain or to, you know, get somebody to kind of be mentoring you or, you know, I don't know. Do you, do you have something that's kind of concrete or laid out or, you know, advice that you give to, to young lawyers? Yeah, you have to engage who you're dealing with. Some partners are very open to answering questions and some aren't. So first of all, determine whether the person I'm working with is actually going to want to answer my questions because they're not the type to answer questions. They're not going to answer questions. They're going to push you out of their office. And so if that's a situation you find yourself in, is there somebody else in the office that will take pity on me and help me out? Maybe it's a senior associate or another associate at my level that I can talk through or maybe I have a mentor outside the firm who's willing to take a few minutes to talk to me or maybe there are other resources. 
diagnosis. Maybe it's not so much, you know, these are sort of questions that need to be asked, but they don't need to be answered by an individual. It can be answered by an article or a podcast or something. So you kind of have to gauge who you're dealing with. And again, this goes back to how supportive your firm is. Some firms are very good about answering questions, mentoring, guiding, developing, and some aren't. And you're really not going to know from an interview. I mean, you'll get some sense from the interview uh, how the firm is and how they interact and how they engage with their younger lawyers. But until you're actually in that environment, you really have to know. And I know it's scary. Uh, and then you're like, wow, how did I end up here? Uh, that kind of happens sometimes. Um, and when that happens, you have to find alternative resources to help you answer the questions you're struggling with. Yeah, I think that's a great point that just don't, you know, what's, what's the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over again and, you know, expecting different results. If, if you got a partner that doesn't have time for you, they're, they're never going to have time for you. So don't, don't, don't try and force that. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that, you know, I personally, I think I struggled with was kind of a, um, like an identity shift my, my first two years, right? Because I had spent time at a plaintiff litigation firm in law school and they were extremely aggressive and i realized personally i'm not the most aggressive individual you know i'm i'm very i like writing motions i like going in front of the judge but i'm never going to personally attack defense counsel i'm never going to do that and i kind of look at the facts as how they are um you know how does an associate kind of deal with that I, i call it identity crisis right and there's been books and things about imposter syndrome and all that uh but it is kind of a um like a scare your first two years of like, well, what kind of litigator do I want to be? I mean, how do associates kind of deal with that question the first few years? Yeah, I think you raised two questions. One, there's the issue of imposter syndrome, which I'll take second. And the first question about how do I fit in the right place? You know, am I a square peg in a round hole or am I actually a round peg in a round hole? And that's a hard question to answer, but you have to be honest with yourself and who you are. You know, are you introverted, extroverted? Are you gregarious? Are you not? Are you confrontational? Are you not? You know, think about some of the things you enjoy. Do you like winning? Do you like competing? Do you like, are you the guy who plays the board game and always insists on winning? Or are you much more laid back, you know, at a party? Are you the one always shaking everybody's hands? Are you, you know, just taking your drink in the corner? You have to really be honest with yourself and who you are and what you're comfortable with and what you're willing to not be comfortable with. And at some point you kind of have to break out of certain things, but it's your life and what you choose to do with it. And so if you're not the type of person who likes to roll up the sleeves and just go toe to toe with somebody, then you're probably not going to be happy at a bullish plaintiff's firm that tries, you know, a case every month. Uh, if you love to write and you love to research, maybe the appellate firm is for you or maybe in-house job is for you. So there's some general overlap between what your interests are and the type of work there is. And you have to figure that out and do the due diligence to think, well, what is a good fit for me? It, it may not prove to be a good fit, uh, but at least you have to go in there making the right choice. And just because a certain firm has a great reputation, it may not be the firm for you. Um, and, and maybe there's a smaller firm that maybe isn't as big or, or well-known, but maybe that firm is a better fit for you for whatever reason. So that's kind of, I think you have to make sure that you fit the culture, that you know what you want and that your culture fits their culture. And then going to your second question about imposter syndrome, uh, everybody deals with that early on. And I don't care what career you're in. I think everybody goes through a period of time asking themselves, am I really good enough to do this job at this place at this time? And you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And it's really hard for uh, overachievers and people who are overzealous to make mistakes and stumble and fall 
it's hard for them to understand, well, why do I have so much red on this document or why are there so many red lines or why have I made so many mistakes or how did I lose that hearing or why is the opposing counsel trying to take advantage of me? It is what it is. And I always tell young lawyers, you know, look, it's you're going to make a lot of mistakes and it's not comfortable. Nobody likes to look foolish. Nobody likes to do something dumb, but you're going to do a lot of it for the first two, three, four, five years. And at some point, you'll make fewer mistakes. And even in my time, you know, 20 some years, I still make mistakes from time to time. It's just that's life, just the way it is. And I think people who are good at putting that in the rear view and moving on make much better lawyers. I think people who, spend a lot of time thinking about the mistakes they made and just kind of letting it fester, it's a really bad place to be mentally. And so you just have to accept mistakes. And if you're at a firm that kind of is always criticizing you and belittling you just for your own mental health, maybe you need to look for the exit door and get the hell out of there. Uh, Because I think as a partner, I realize, look, people are going to make mistakes. And and most mistakes you can fix unless you're blowing a statute of limitations or unless you're blowing some major deadline, a filing deadline, then, you know, if, if you didn't ask that one question deposition, it's probably fine. If you didn't include that one sentence in the affidavit, it's going to work out. It's not that big of a deal. And I think also, and, and as you get further out in the career, you realize like I'm turning 50 this year. Most of the stuff that we do doesn't matter. Uh, most of the stuff we think matter doesn't matter. And some of the things we don't matter does matter. And it all kind of comes out in the wash anyway. So uh, that's easy to say with experience and time, but I try to remind young lawyers, you know, get over yourself. It's going to be fine. Well, two things. First, I know there's no video with this, but there's no way I would have guessed you're 50 yeah. at all. Uh, you know, at, at, at any. Well, I'm almost 50. Almost 50. Okay. All right. Don't put that on me. Right. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, give me a few months. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Yeah. There's no way. But that, I feel like that Miami, Miami weather has been good to you. It keeps you young. Keeps you young. <laughs> but, uh, but I may have taught, told this story in the podcast before, but uh, I, I cannot agree with you more. You know, uh, my personal journey, you know, after getting out of the army, went to law school, then I started the DA's office. I went to uh, Allstate. It went from Allstate. Um, and I actually had a, a quick stop off at another defense firm before I you know, had my substantial work at another one. And I'll, I'll never forget when I was there, the first motion I wrote, the partner, he redlined it. And I didn't think that was a big deal. He says, hey, come down here and get your motion. I, I, I made my edits. I said, no problem. Walking down the hall and I see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. And I see the second one. I was like, oh man, look, like someone dropped some paper and I pick it up and it's, it's all red. And then I quickly realized this is my motion. And he had... <laughs> He had taken the motion, unstapled, marked it up and threw it outside of his door. So it was just confetti style, you know, in the hallway. And I thought to myself, this is this is a critical juncture in my legal career. (laughs) And although I appreciated his tenacity and he was a named partner and, you know, this is his this is what, you know, he was a rainmaker. He was the man. And I just thought as somebody that had lived a whole life before I went to law school had some seen some stuff I had, you know, escaped and looked, you know, death directly in the eye. I didn't feel like scooping down and, and picking up my motion. For the gun. <laughs> so I immediately updated my resume and got a job <laughs> 22 days later. Good <laughs> man, good first. man. Yeah. And, and, and everyone was so shocked. They said, why did you make, I said, why make a big deal? This is, this isn't my firm. I don't, I've been here, 
you know, I'm not even eligible for health benefits. I've been here so short. You know, I, my, I don't have a business card. I don't have nothing. I have no equity to say anything. And I just, I saw the writing on the wall. I said, I just want to be part, you know, and other people could take it and they could, or they saw a different value. And yeah, he's tough, but I get to do this and that. I'm like, wow, well, that's just, like you said, my mental health was, I'm a, I'm a PTSD over here or something. So, you know, <laughs> I went someplace that had a way better culture and they were just, they were just uh, more collegial. They were more helpful. Uh, my next partner that I worked for uh, was from Canada and uh, true to form. He is probably the nicest human being, uh, you know, in, on this planet. And I learned so much. So I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, head that just because you've got a great name on your business card, you know, doesn't mean it's really going to serve you um, in the long run. Uh, and that's a tough pill to swallow, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I always tell young lawyers, don't go with a firm, go with a mentor. And I know it's easy to say, obviously it's kind of trite, but you're trying to find a good mentor to teach you the job. Uh, it, obviously you want to earn enough to pay the bills and put a little money aside, but you're better off earning a little bit less with a real human being who's going to teach you the, the practice than make a lot more with a firm that's going to you know, put you somewhere, not do much, and then insult you and belittle you. It's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? Do you think that's just a culture of that's what happened to them and it, they're just doing what they know? Like, or I, I've always struggled with that. I said, where does this come from? Because most people are just nice people. So where do we come from? How do some of these law firms get this culture of almost like paramilitary hazing type thing? You know, I mean, you know, I think it's made a great point. I think they probably went through it themselves. And I, I hear this comment a lot from more senior lawyers saying, well, I went through it and now these millennials, they don't want to go through it. And why did I have to go through it? And I can't put them through. It's like, as if, you know, like grow up, like, yeah. you know, it's just like, what do you, what, you want to put them through the situation you hated just because you went through it? Like, yeah. how old are you? Yeah. That's, like, a, that's what we try. That's what we try and do the exact opposite of literally at this firm, you know, that I, I tell people all the time, it's really easy to run a firm like an asshole. It, and I mean, yeah. it is, it's, that's easy. It's harder to be compassionate, to be, to help people. It's way easier for me to go in and yell at someone, tell them they're an idiot, throw their mouse <laughs> on the ground. Whatever, right. That's easy. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be in depositions and I'll see a senior lawyer kind of rip into a young lawyer like, ah, ha, ha. It's like, oh, wait, OK, we're yeah. having fun with this. And then you kind of put them in their spot and they realize, oh, wait a minute, but we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be ripping into this young lawyer. It's like, no, this isn't how this works. Yeah. <laughs> we really have to move beyond this pro-magnum period that we're going through and just behave like human beings. It's And I think just the practice litigation attracts jerks. I just think people in this sure. space love to compete and win at all costs. And that's why you see sometimes lawyers doing unprofessional, even unethical things. And they just don't see any lines. Like for them, the lines were crossed years and decades ago and they just don't care. And we've all dealt with that lawyer litigator who just makes us pull our hair out. And some of us deal with more of those than others, but, and, and there's nothing you can say or convince them otherwise. Not like as if I can put them on my couch and see what happened in their childhood and get them to move yeah. beyond that point. It's just they are who they are. They're self-destructive. It's like somebody's already pulled the pin and you just try to get out of there before it blows up. So I don't have any good answers on how to deal with those sort of people other than try to put everything in writing and try to be as and, and not to lose who you are in the process. Don't let it rub off on you. Yeah. I guess I've always thought that one of the best things to do is just kind of recognize and be like, well, this, you know, this isn't me, this is the situation, and then assess it from there and say, hey, 
you know, yeah, I'm going to accept, choose to accept it or not. And then, yeah. you know, kind of go on from there. But, but I, I was just curious, I wonder if uh, from, you know, the people you've mentored, the people you've helped, if, if you had any stories of maybe somebody that you thought was a lost cause or something, and you saw 180 and, and, you know, this young associate that, that, you know, you didn't think they were going to have a breakthrough or, and, and you said, wow, you know, I was really, I was really surprised to see how well this person turned it around. Yeah. I speak with a lot of young lawyers, worldwide actually and i think the biggest issue they have is that they're just not in the right place they're i think there's a place for all of us just like i believe there's someone for each of us in our lives in terms of a spouse or a friend and i think work is no different and for whatever reason people just land in the wrong place they land in the wrong place because of the compensation model or because something else shiny is shown to them and their spidey sense is going off but their checkbook is really getting their better attention and they end up committing to something and, and they knew like most people know like most people know when they date people like this is not the right person for me most people when they take a job they're like wow i really shouldn't have done that like the the markers were there the red flags were there all along and we just don't listen to ourselves. I don't know why. I just, I think as the younger we are, we just think we're somehow indestructible that we just like, we're going to do things the way we want to do them. And the older we get, we realize, yeah, that was a stupid. That was just, dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and so when people kind of get past that point, realize, yeah, I got to stop making the same mistakes I've been making and kind of grow and evolve and develop from that. then they do much better. It, it really has to do with, their actual tangible skill set, it has to do with the decisions they made, the big decisions, like I'm working at this firm or I'm working or pursuing this career. Like I, I have to stop doing this to myself. I have to do something different. You know, I'm curious, do you guys uh, at your firm or throughout the course of, because if you're doing all of this, you know, do's and don'ts, this huge following and all this content that you're pushing out to young, I, I wonder how much are your opinions on, say, like emotional intelligence or those Briars Migs, uh, Briars, Briars, uh, Myers-Briggs, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah, switch those two around that, you know, the ENTFJ, you know, all, all those kind of personality tests where it kind of hits on what you just said that you got to find the right fit for your personality, what drives you, what's that, you know, that thing, you know, is it prestige? Is it work? Is it freedom? Is it, uh, you know, money? Is it not being micromanaged or whatever it is? But I feel like a lot of that comes from, you know, kind of the uh, emotional intelligence. Do, do you, do you ever do any research on that or kind of talk to people about that at all? Yeah, I tell each person, look, you have to define for yourself what your mission, your vision, and your values are. Each company does that. Each individual has to do that for him or herself. And once you have that outline for yourself, then you know what's going to work for you and what's not. And if you do something that doesn't align with your values and assign, align with who you are, you're not going to be happy there. I mean, you may make lots of money there, and you may have certain prestige there, but ultimately you're not going to be happy. And maybe you don't want to be happy. Maybe you just want to make lots of money, and that's your choice, and God bless you. But if you really want to get joy out of life, you have to ask yourself, okay, you know, where, where do I want to be in 10, 20 years? What is my mission? What is my vision? What's my values? And I, and I wrote a book. It's free. You can find it on my website, MiamiMentor.com. It's called Go Motivate Yourself. And the premise of the book is basically, you know, define what your talents are, define what your dreams are, and define what your passion is and what your passion is about and find where those three areas intersect or create a Venn diagram. And that's your destiny. That's where you are. You know, we all have talents. We all have dreams. We all have passions. Uh, write them all out, see where they intersect. And that's where you should be. Now, you may not be there today. You may not be there a year, five years from now, but you have to come up with a plan to get there. And that's when you'll really feel joy. And again, you know, the longer I live, the more I realize that nice stuff is nice, but peace of mind is much better. Yeah. 
yeah yeah I, uh, it's taken me a while to get there I, uh hopefully i'll get there soon maybe maybe, maybe. <laughs> in terms of uh you know the actual working from an associate one thing that i really like in your associate handbook i think it's like well it's a it goes a couple of pages but there's one paragraph in there i really like and it's about how you work and and you know one thing that you put in there is you got to try every case not every case is going to go to trial but you've got to act like every case is going to go to trial and you've got to act that way and when you do that when you actually do that then you're going to have a lot more success I, I don't know why when i read that i was like oh this is absolutely right this is a hundred percent you know it, don't don't look at a file just like a file look at a file like okay what do i need to do for this perspective jerry and you go into it, and I really like this, is that you go into it not so much about how to make your client happy, but so much about how to make that prospective juror happy. And in doing so, your client's happy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, the idea is that even though only 2% of cases go to trial, maybe these days it's only 1%, realistically, you have to anticipate it any case can go to trial because you don't know what that 2% is. You know, it's, you can't determine from the beginning, oh, this is going to be the 98%. It may very well be the 2%. And so what you do is you look at the end game, say, okay, well, how do I try this case? How, if this case is the one of the 2%, how do I present this case to the jury? And, you know, so early on, you develop what the trial themes are, what the trial theory is. You, when you ask questions of a witness, you determine, well, how are these questions that are sound in front of a jury? You know, what exhibits am I going to need to show a jury and how am I going to use these exhibits and how am I going to get these exhibits in an admissible form? And when you do that and you go to mediation or you have a settlement conference, if you don't settle, you're fine with yourself. You are in a Zen moment because you're not worried about going to trial because you're ready to go to trial. And I go to a lot of mediations and I can tell, tell there's a certain desperation on the other side because they do not want to try the case because they have not prepped the case as if it's going to trial. And they did not ask the key deposition questions. They did not secure the relevant documents. They have not done the workup necessary. And they are in a bad position. And I tell clients, look, I know it sounds like it's going to be more expensive for me to try each case than to just sit back and do the bare minimum. But what's going to happen is that when we get to mediation, they're going to know we did the bare minimum. And they're going to ask for a lot more money. And you're not going to want to pay it. And then we're going to go to trial. And we're not going to be prepared. And it's just the way it is. I mean, litigation is not inexpensive. And clients who litigate have to understand that. And obviously, you want to be efficient and you want to do things as effectively and efficiently as possible, but there is a cost involved. And if, and most clients who are sophisticated understand that and understand that everything you're doing is leading to a point for a resolution, either at mediation or even a trial if necessary, on terms that are favorable to them. And a win, uh, finding each case is different. You know, sometimes a win is a defense verdict and defense side. Sometimes it's not losing $5 million at trial on the defense side because the case is really worth $15 million. So one of the first things I do and first things our firm does is to define a win that's appropriate for this case that the client enjoys and can live with. And then we work toward that. Well, that's a good, that's a great point. I, I remember one time we, we tried a case, got an amazing verdict, uh, you know, where we, the jury came back way under every, every uh, model, every expectation we had, you know, I mean, just as you know, when you write your pretrial reports, you know, you, uh, well, I don't know how you guys do it, but we always had to do kind of like a, um, a worst day, best day, an average day at trial. Right. And, and we, you know, blew our best day out of the, you know, out of the water is fantastic. And then I remember then the client came back and said they had a heart attack over the bill. 
And then, you know, we kind of had to go back and say, well, how do you think we got this good verdict? (laughs) You know, and but I think we did a poor job of what you just said right there. um, Letting the client know, because in their eyes, maybe the verdict, they could have gave more in trial if we didn't spend so much on the defense, you know, Um, because I don't think we clearly communicated that with the the client. You know, they were just kind of like win at all costs. And we sure did. But then the bill comes through and they're like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, what is this? Yeah, we got a lot of hours cut on that one. Um, uh, But, you know, more zeros on here than I thought. (laughs) Two and a half week trial in Galveston, though, that's what happens. You know, you know, that'll do it. That will do it. But uh, but I, I think that's such a fantastic point and I I mean just circling back to what you said earlier law firms are businesses we're, we're taught to be lawyers and the next you know we're thrown into a business setting where everyone wants you to make money and um, keeping those things in mind as you move through your career even as associate letting the partner hey look we're, we're gonna have to are we approved to do all this you know yeah. how, how much can I do on this you know one thing that was tough for me as an associate is uh, networking. It's still tough for me. I mean, I tell well, it's because you don't like people much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. You know, um, uh, so for anyone who went to U of H Law, I, uh, there's they'll know what the fennel rooms are, and it's basically this room in a basement uh, with no windows, brick walls, painted white, and it's a small room. I mean, probably about five feet wide by five feet, and you, that's where I sat basically all of law school. And I was very happy. I was actually irritated when I was outside of that <laughs> yeah, room. And yeah. so uh, I really think that some of my friends thought I was maybe going on the verge of being a mental patient, but <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy it. It was quiet. I had my own space. And uh, so, yeah, I have a problem personally networking, you know, uh, people would think I'm this guy who will talk to anyone and everything. And I am, if you could talk to me, but do I want to go to a networking event? Not really. Right. Um, so, you know, for young lawyers, uh, what are your kind of tips for networking? Yeah, don't look at networking as sort of sticking your business card in somebody's pocket or trying to blurt out what you do and convincing them to refer you a case. Just just have a conversation. I mean, you're going out, you're meeting somebody. People refer cases to those that they know, like, and trust. And they're not to know and like and trust you from a 30-second interaction at a cocktail party. It's just not how life happens. So networking is occurs over a series of times and events. And so you just go out, you meet people, you talk about whatever you want to talk about and whatever your interests are, you find out what their interests are, make the conversation focus on them and what they like. And if they have kids, talk about their kids or their pets or what cases they're handling or whatever is in the news that, you know, is not particularly controversial so that you guys can talk about it and just get used to just talking to people. Um, So much of what we do as lawyers is really just listening and paying attention to how people behave because that's what we do with juries and judges and opposing counsel and mediators. And, there's so much going on that's unspoken in any interaction that you really have to pay attention to, you know, what is the person looking at? Is he looking at me? Are they looking around the room? Are they reaching for their business card? Are they actually listening to what I said? Did they just ask me something? I just volunteered 30 seconds ago. You know, you really have to be cognizant of all these little telltale signs of whether the person you're speaking with actually wants to speak with you and whether you're having a real conversation or not. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of conversations that are awkward that you're like, oh, okay, well, that was kind of weird. And you move on, you talk to somebody else. And again, it's uh, I, I, what I compare it to is that so much of what we do, we have to kind of figure out on our own and we have to learn to do it. You know, I've written a lot of articles and I want to say I've written over 400 articles. The first 100 articles sucked. I don't know how to describe them. They were just not very good. Uh, I've done a couple hundred presentations. I want to say the first 100 weren't very good. Uh, and 
you know, I never would have gotten to the point where I'm comfortable either writing or speaking unless I had done some really bad writing and speaking. It's just the way it is. And you try different things and you uh, put yourself out there and, you know, and sometimes, you know, like you're doing stand up and no one's applauding and they're heckling you and you learn from it and you move on and you just don't say, oh, I'm never going to do another joke again. It's like, all right, well, like, you know, what did I learn from this? Uh, it's just the same way. And just, it's really hard. The thing is so many lawyers, if you think about it, in order to get to law school, you have to be, you have to have pretty good grades. You have to go through three years of law school. You have to go to get the bar passage. I mean, you know, we're all kind of type A personalities to actually get through this. And suddenly we're in a situation where we're not great anymore. We're not getting that trophy anymore. We're not getting the award. People are saying we suck. And we're like, well, you know, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, yeah, you got to do it some more. You got to keep doing it. And, and eventually you're going to break free and do it much better or, you know, or you're going to realize you're really enjoying it and maybe you'll do something else. And there's some value in that too, but you really kind of have to push forward and nobody likes failing. Uh, and I think as lawyers, like we're very risk adverse and we hate falling flat on our face and we hate being embarrassed just as a collective. This is really tough for us and we have to move beyond it. Yeah, that's great. And it, it almost sounds like what you're also saying is don't be so dang hard on yourself. Right. You know, just accept. Just accept. It's gonna. There's gonna be some rough times, but uh. But yeah, you can see why uh, Mike is the perfect senior associate here. You know, just uh, <laughs> just get in the office and go do work, and uh, and I'll do the networking, and I I shake every hand and kiss every baby, and Mike uh, writes every motion. It's it's it's, it's, it's fantastic, and which again goes back to your point. I love it. You know, circle it all back as I feel like you know uh, you find your right spot. Cause I don't ask him to do, I don't, I'm, there's things that I, I feel like Mike, you wouldn't stick around if I said, Mike, I really need you to be out there hustling for, you know, I need you, you know, networking, marketing. I, I need you to plan X amount of lunches. You'd be like, all right, cool. And then you go update your resume. And you say, <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think he's, uh, I think that's great that you kind of, um, and, and for other people out there that are listening to this, I think that's the first assessment. You know, like you said, what do you want to do? What, you know, what's important to you? Where's your Venn diagram, you know, kind of thing. Suddenly on his LinkedIn profile, looking for work. Wait for it. <laughs> you mentioned that MiamiMentor.com. That's the website. I know yeah, that's middle. a website. My older son is 22, turns 23 next month. David created for me. Neither of us had ever worked on a website before. Uh, I wanted to have my own space because LinkedIn really didn't lend itself to having all that information out there. It's kind of a you know, it served its own purpose and I didn't want to completely take over our firm's website with all my crap. So I basically created a website and there's about 20 books there that are all but one is free. There's a bunch of videos, there's forums, there's podcast interviews I've given, articles, you name it. Um, and so it's a good sort of stomping ground for young lawyers and law students to kind of go and kind of just get some free advice, I suppose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, for our viewers, just to let you know, it's, it's a fantastic website. Um, it's got even videos for not only an intro to a deposition, but, you know, types of depositions to take. And he, you, you do a very thorough job of really getting someone prepared who is probably pretty terrified whenever they go into one of the first depositions of any of these type of, I think you have one about an engineer, you have, uh, ones about, uh, prepping your client. So it's fantastic information. Um, you also have your, uh, books that are free, including the associate handbook, which I found it very helpful. I think I found it um, a while ago and I read it. And I was like, man, this is great. I'm just going to stick to this. And it's, it's worked out for me so far. <laughs> oh, man, it's very kind. 
And, and Frank, what motivated you to do all this? Like what? Because this seems like a shocking amount of work. And you're probably a very, very busy man already, you know, with a thriving practice. I mean, you know, our, we don't have a visual element, but I mean, you've got a love me wall that makes me so jealous. It's huge. There's so much stuff happening back there. Look at all those awards. But but to, to take, I mean, do you just not sleep? Do you, do, do you have a, a, tw- a twin that, that you haven't told anybody about? I mean, but like, like what, what was that say? Hey, I got to do this. I got to do this for the people. I got to put this out there. Um, you know, you know, what kind of what kind of made you do that? I'll sleep when I'm dead. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of bullies. And as we've been talking about over the last half hour or so, there's there's a lot of bullies in litigation yeah. and they really like to pick on young lawyers and experienced lawyers. And they kind of pat themselves in the back when they do that. I just don't really have the time or the energy to put up with that anymore. I'm just down playing my career that if you're going to go after somebody, I'm not kicking the teeth. And so I've created a. Uh, I just a safe space for lack of a better word on LinkedIn and on my website, the kind of give all those trade secrets that we all kind of learned by doing this for so many years so that they're not caught unawares. And that's kind of, I guess, my contribution to the profession because I'm just kind of tired of it. I'm just at a point in my life. I'm like, just, I'm kind of over it right now. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, I think we, at least most people we talk to, and certainly people that will lend their time to a podcast like this, I think all subscribe to the same mantras that, you know, the rising tide raises all ships, right? And, you know, I've said many times, the worst case to try is against somebody that um, doesn't know what they're doing. I think sometimes, you know, you see one experienced attorney lick their chops and say, oh, this guy, you know, they're new to this game. I'm going to, you know, tear them up. But that is, the, to me, that's the most frustrating thing. I, I, I'll even help my opposing counsel a little bit just just because, look, if, if you've got your stuff going on, it lets me do my job easier because although it's adversarial, it's also symbiotic. You know, I'll walk into some insurance uh, defense, you know, place, uh, you know, even when I go back to Allstate, we all shake hands and joke and and I say, hey, thank you guys for such low offers. And they say, hey, thank you guys for following all these lawsuits because <laughs> that's why we're here. Look at us creating jobs for each other, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, they're, you know, we need each other. and We need each other to be, to be better. So, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a very commendable. And uh, I don't know how you do it. I really don't. I appreciate it. It's kind of like playing chess with somebody who doesn't know how to play chess. Yeah. Sometimes you actually lose those games because they come up with uh, moves that just don't make any, absolutely no sense. And you're like, What's going on here? Yeah, it's just attacked by confusion. <laughs> by confusion. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried on one of those cases. One of one of my cases. Yeah, yeah. Just luck here. <laughs> but but I feel like I did that in my first couple of trials where I just lucked myself into a win. Where I was like, oh, I didn't even. Yeah, that's my argument. That's it. <laughs> that is my argument, guys. I like where we're going with this. <laughs> judge, ex- that's exactly where I'm uh-huh. going with this one, uh-huh. Judge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Are, are you an, uh, a fan of The Office, Frank? I am a fan of The Office. Okay, but nothing makes me happier. Makes me think of uh, when Michael Scott actually he's doing something well, and then his boss pulls him in, and he starts the sentence, and then they cut away, and he goes, "Sometimes I start a sentence, and I have no idea where it's going, (laughs) (laughs) and I just ride it out (laughs) for any reason, for whatsoever." And he just kind of should you (laughs) never don't. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get it like three degrees cooler in here? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So no, that's great, but but yeah, that self awareness, I feel like that as a young associate, that that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen. It'll be all right. Yeah. And when it does, go go to Frank's website, oh, read, read the resources, and and you'll feel a lot better about yourself. Absolutely. And we're gonna put those resources in the um, in the, the headline, or sorry, in the information in the uh, podcast. Frank has every single guest on here. These two questions. 
First one, what is something embarrassing that you've seen at trial? Well, this happened to me a long, long time ago, and it happened in front of a judge who I won't name, who's since passed. He was a senior judge at the time. And uh, in Miami, we have a lot of potential jurors as we're going through jury selection who don't speak English. And at the time, there wasn't really a way to remove them from the process these days. It's a little bit more formalized. And the judge was had us in the sidebar. He was really mad that these jurors didn't speak English and said, well, you know, they've been living here so many years. Uh, they don't speak English. I'm like, well, you know, my parents don't speak English either. It's like, well, what do they speak? And like, well, they speak Spanish. Like, we you know, look Hispanic. And I'm like, you know, this is all being taken down by the court reporter, right? You're just like, oh, no, I told her to stop. Like, no, I told her to put it back on the record. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, working in, in Miami in, in about 20 years ago, I guess. But I guess I can go look back at that and laugh a little bit. <laughs> it's a very awkward moment at the time. It was like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That reminds me of, uh, I was uh, down in JP court when I was a district attorney. And, uh, oh my God, JP court. Yeah, JP was, uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. You, you want to see some ferocious defendants or, you know, uh, have a pro se someone defending a, a traffic ticket. You, you would think <laughs> that this was a murder trial, right? <laughs> but, right? But this was the busiest court. This is the busiest court. And I think there was some statistic at some point. It was technically the busiest traffic court in all of America. But uh, we would do uh, almost 1,200 people in an afternoon. And uh, that's, wow. uh, yeah, from, from 8 to 11, we, we'd process through, you know, uh, 800 to 12, uh, 800 to 1,200 people. And uh, uh, the judge, and, and God bless him, he's, he's not there anymore, but he really struggled with some of the names. And I remember one time he said, who would even give you, you should change your name. Who would even give you a name? Like <laughs> and he was very serious in this, in this very sweet young woman's face. She's like, what's well, a, it's a family name. She was from African descent. So it was, it was a tough name to say. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and obviously a lot of people probably struggled with it, but I just remember her face of like, what do you, I should change my name. Just give me my defense of driving. <laughs> The last question is, if you could give one piece of advice to young attorneys, what would it be? You know, I think the biggest piece of advice I give to young lawyers all the time is that they used to make mistakes. It's no matter what other people think of you, what they say about you, a lot of this is just learning process and the way you learn the best lessons is by doing it the wrong way and then doing it the right way the second time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I, I kind of want to add on to that is um, don't hide that mistake. So if you make a mistake and um, oh yeah, definitely. And you know, you try to figure out a way to fix it, or if you're not sure how to fix it, it's okay to tell your your partner if it's a bit because it rather them know and you tell them, um, than them find out later, right? Um, yeah. That's my opinion. I mean, anytime I make mistakes now. And I tell Jeff like pretty immediately, Hey Jeff, we got an issue here. Uh, I messed up. This is what's going on. I'm trying to fix it. And I'll tell him what I've thought about trying to fix. Uh, so that's kind of big, but absolutely. You're going to make mistakes, especially your first two years. You can make a lot more mistakes than rights. <laughs> yeah. If you make a mistake, I can fix it. If you try to hide that mistake with five other mistakes, <laughs> by the time we got to the third or fourth mistake, you probably moved beyond my expertise and we're both pretty screwed. So just come to me immediately and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Lawyers are terrible at math. Uh, two negatives don't equal positive. <laughs> <laughs> don't throw some more negatives on it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs>
I'm only five negatives. Need one more six. We even out. We're good. Yeah, that's great. This has been an amazing podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, MiamiMentor.com. We're great. Thanks so much. This was awesome. Hopefully, uh, we'd like to have you on again. That'd be awesome if you know. Yeah, we- absolutely. If you're ever in Miami, I have a rum bar inside of the cameras. You are welcome to come by and sample right. rums and hang out. All right, well, Actually, there's two pools right outside my windows. All right, well, and everybody's just sipping Mai Tais and stuff. And just- right, I'm, I'm going to Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> we're bringing our portable podcast set up. This is go. a business expense. It's happening. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I like how he's like, yeah, I have a rum bar here. I have two pools. Two pools are just, just casually. Just keep going on with Miami. I, wow. I actually have my white jacket out here Ooh. over here. <laughs> a white suit. So, yeah, just let me know when you come by. Whatever, we're just- They're doing <laughs> it's a different world down here. Kind of like, you know, put in there. <laughs> appreciate it so much and yeah we'll definitely probably have you back yeah, on yeah. for another i mean you just you have so much content and i've honestly probably only scraped like the beginning of it and i've read a decent amount and so well, that's I'm very nice to say all right yeah. well we'll let you go i know you got billables you got six minutes that's right to go take care of so we do really do appreciate your time yeah. thanks so much all right